0: You're listening to Space Jet. Ch- Wait a minute. You're listening to the Mac and then No, 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 no. Oh, that's right. We put on our pirate suits and took over another ship. You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast, episode 154. We be pirates with colds. So our voices are a little wacky. bye
1: not adjust your sets. This is Mike Worthley and Charles Martin on the Apple Insider podcast for the first week of 2018 and what a week it has been. Yes. This is my longtime partner in crime, Charles Martin, over from Mac and End days, believe it or not. Wow. And let's just get into it and we'll talk about other things later. Let's first start talking about Intel's CPU flaws and other manufacturers. So, starting on Tuesday, the register published an account of how Intel CPUs, dating back to around, oh, 1995 or so, were subject to an exploit which would allow someone who had specifically crafted code to maliciously steal data out of kernel RAM.
0: I knew we should have promoted that guy to general.
1: Well, sure. Intel didn't say anything until late Wednesday about it. And their statement is just kind of bizarre. I'm going to pull it up really quickly here and read you some keywords and
0: tricky phrases out of that. 23 years later.
1: Yeah, basically. So Intel and other technology companies have been made aware of a new security research describing software analysis methods that, when used for malicious purposes, have the potential to improperly gather sensitive data from computing devices that are operating as designed. Now, let's skip ahead to the really strange stuff. Recent reports that these exploits are caused by a bug or a flaw and are unique to Intel products are incorrect. Based on the analysis to date, many types of computing devices with many different vendors, processors, and operating systems are susceptible to these exploits. Now, let's back up on that one a little bit.
0: Yes. Hang on. (laughs)
1: Now, while Intel is correct that some ARM processors, specifically the Cortex-A series of chips, is affected, Mm -hmm. the Cortex-M series and other chips are not affected. By that Cortex M being Internet of Things and HomeKit device kind of devices, things.
0: Right. And AMD has just flat out said, uh uh-uh. uh.
1: And AMD said, no, you're wrong. We're not affected at all. So I, th- I think that an exploit that allows data to be stolen out of the kernel, I- I'm safely considering that a bug. Uh,
0: Charles, what do you think? At least they didn't say it was a feature. I suppose that's something. But yeah. yeah.
1: Well, if it's not a bug or a flaw, then what is it? Operating as
0: design? And the fact that it, this has existed for 23 years is. Just ridiculous that this hasn't come up. I mean, we're just lucky in that way. But I recall back in the early, early days of computers, because you and I are both ancient, Mm -hmm. and this was system information that could be pulled out of RAM was a big deal then. And it's disappointing to learn that all these years later, some variation of that is still a thing. That's crazy. The exploit
1: is non-trivial. The exploit does require software to be installed. It does not appear to be a drive-by attack from a malicious web ad or something like that. Right. But that may change. There's there's a lot of information that as we record this, it's Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time just before the epic snow event on the East Coast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We'll talk about that a little while later. The, the vulnerabilities we just learned are called Meltdown and Spectre with Meltdown specific to x86 architecture and Spectre being a wider timed base attack.
0: Yeah, they're bad Bond villain names is what they are. Mm,
1: indeed. Even though Intel specifically says that we don't think that any data can be stolen with this, researchers across the globe right now are saying, well, no, you you can, and, and here's how. And there's source code, proof-of-concept code available right now mm-hmm. as we speak. It's going to be a developing story. This is going to be something that If you're listening to this podcast, say, on the 10th of January, there's probably more information. There's probably newer information. Yeah. But what we do know today, what I discovered this morning, is that Apple has already patched at least the vast majority of this out with 10.13.2. Right. Not even the 10.13.3 beta, which apparently has more fixes, which I couldn't get any information about modern mac systems aren't going to be impacted by this attack if one ever develops which is good but that doesn't mean that the old mac pro you have underneath your desk that's stuck on sierra won't
0: be right well not necessarily typically apple does support their last three operating system releases but they don't go back beyond that so at best you're looking at was it el cap yeah.
1: You're counting in your fingers right now. Yeah. I'm curious to see exactly how far back Apple's going to go to patch this. And Intel's already said that this is not a firmware patch. There's nothing they can do to issue an errata for the chip or anything like that. What are they going to do? Go back to 486s and re those? Yeah. No, they're, they're not going to do
0: that. Now, years and years ago, I dimly recall there was a long division error in Intel chips. And what they did yeah. was they said, okay, we'll exchange your chip. And because, uh, of course, back then you could socket everything. Now, some Macs are socketed, too, but the uh, there's not a practical solution today, let's put it that
1: way. Almost nobody did that. Yeah. Even looking at Intel's own numbers for that, I went back and looked at that. Right. They said that they had about 65,000 exchanges.
0: Zero, 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 one percent of the people affected.
1: And that's literally, even, even back in the early part of the century, that is such a small proportion of the chips they produced that, people actually requested a replacement right? because it did not turn out to be a huge deal. Most home users weren't affected by it at all. Scientific calculations were, and I would expect that most of the replacements came from those fields.
0: Right. Now, this is far more serious, though. To be fair, we are at the beginning of this story. So as you're listening to this, we don't, as Mike said, we don't know all the details. And given Intel's, let's say, variable statements about this, there's probably more information to come. The thing you need to know, I think most of all, is if you're a Mac user, you should probably just sit tight. That's probably okay. But again, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how extensive it is. The thing that impresses me, though, is that when this first came out, Intel was warning that slowdowns of up to 30% of performance could be seen. It was up to, but it was still enough to start People losing their mind.
1: Yeah, that wasn't even Intel that really broke the lid off that one. That's the Linux code developers that were seeing slowdowns and are still seeing slowdowns in SSD access speeds. Now... Before anyone flips their lid about their Mac, I have a 2017 MacBook Pro that I started earlier today. Then I upgraded to 10.13.1. Right. And then I upgraded to 10.13.2 and started running benchmarks and testing it and slamming it and seeing what I could do to try and get some of those real-world slowdowns. Couldn't get anything. Couldn't benchmark anything. Couldn't test anything. Nothing developed. Right. Run some of the same benchmarks that the register used didn't have the problem, did not see any any noticeable slowdown at all. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is I'm looking at one machine at one time. I'm not looking at a bank of 15,000 machines in a cloud service. I think that's where we're going to see the problems. I think that when we start seeing the patches for this, I think we're going to see slowdowns on Amazon Web Services. I think we're going to see some cloud service brief interruptions for security patches, and they're going to be just a hair slower than they used to be.
0: Right.
1: And those are the companies I think that are going to be the most impacted by this after the patches are doled out and fully applied.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you're right. We're gonna see with time what happens. But that 30%, that is a startling number.
0: It would have caused villagers with torches outside of Intel's headquarters, I should think.
1: You know, I'm not sure we're that far away from that now. Yeah. Just just browsing around the, the not even the dark corners of the internet, but the the stuff that floats on the top. It's looking a little grim. Uh, People are really upset with Intel. We've got people clamoring for replacement processors. We've got people already talking about class action suits.
0: Oh, yes. Well, frankly, number one, it's unsurprising. I'm sorry. I feel selfishly happy, though, that the words class action lawsuit do not are not automatically being associated with the word Apple this week. (laughs) That was
1: going to bring me up to another point. And I'm curious to see what standard Intel is going to be held to on this. Yeah. I'm curious to see how that's going to be different from Samsung phones causing fires from Apple's battery throttling routines, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and the 11 suits that have been generated because of it, Mm -hmm. and this. Because this is epic. This is 20 years of computing and issues potentially spanning legacy hardware that's sitting in factories that are never going to see an update.
0: Yeah, this is the concern. Now, of course, most homeowners have moved on. And even though their chips are still affected, because Intel makes the chips that run almost every mainstream computer, we don't have to worry about the 1998s. I don't think they're gone. I think they're gone. I- ideally, right? But in a warehouse somewhere, there's somebody running XP to this day. Yeah,
1: there's a CNC machine somewhere slaving along on, on even Windows 8 that may not get an enough. Right, right. And here we are. I mean, how many millions of machines worldwide are going to be unpatched and, and be accessible and be hackable because of this flaw? no, we're never going to know. But it's not zero.
0: But uh, hats off to Apple for acting prompt. We had a not dissimilar story about a major serious flaw in the Wi-Fi standard. Mm -hmm. And even Apple got their Wi-Fi team back together just long enough to patch it. That's true. Most of the modem manufacturers out there, and believe me, if you think, ah, ha, ha, I only have a, I have a very recent computer. This isn't going to be a huge issue for me because I'll get all the packages. Your modem sitting over there, how many years has that been? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your, your cable modem or your router, that's right. Yeah. So i bet they're probably still unpatched, most of them. The
1: manufacturers have known about this flaw since November or December. Mm. Microsoft started taking steps to ameliorate the problems when it started splitting how it handles kernel RAM in November. Right. And as I had mentioned, the 10.13.2 patch for High Sierra also fixes the problem.
0: Yes, and the forthcoming 10.13.3 should have yet still more. Yep. Amazon has scheduled some downtime to allegedly to try and deal with this. Microsoft's online Azure stuff is going to need some figuring out. Google has been strangely silent.
1: Ah, yes, you would think that. But about two hours ago, they issued a huge statement about what the two exploits are, what Meltdown Inspector are, and what they do, and how, and how Google services are affected. Ah, The long story short is if you have a new Google device or a new Google service, you're, you're good. You're good to go. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. But if you have an older Android phone, it might be a problem. You need to talk to your manufacturer. That, that's essentially the statement out of Google. And, and frankly, it's more than I expected today from
0: them. Yes, you're right. It's true. I didn't happen to catch it, so I'm good on them for at least addressing it. But see, this is why I don't buy Android. They're like, Ah, goes to go talk to mom.
1: Plus five to Apple here for having the problem fixed in December. Yeah. Minus one or two for not even having a statement today about
0: it. Yes. You can be sure that they are Intel <laughs> minus several million for Intel for
1: Intel's statement is bizarre. We're going to have a link to the statement in the show notes. Please do take a look at the entire quote it, behind the scenes in the Apple Insider Slack where we were talking about how to do this and how to cover this. We read the statement like five times and said, this doesn't say a word. Yeah. This doesn't say anything on what a user should do or how it should do it. It isn't taking accountability. It isn't saying, yep, we messed up. This is a problem. It straight up says, well, yeah, yeah, it's a thing, but deal with it.
0: And there's nothing we can do. They just threw up their hands. Nothing we can do. So it raises a couple of questions. First of all, um, how much is AMD stock going to jump for this? If it turns out that their claim is true, that they're not, to the best of their knowledge, affected, arm a processors that's that's the core of the iphone so is that going to be an issue
1: based on what we've seen it doesn't look like it's going to be a problem because the a series process even though even though it's an arm processor Mm -hmm. there's enough separating it from the cortex series chips that i don't think there's a lot we're going to need to worry about here but time will tell you're right apple hasn't said anything about it i would like them to say something about it also is this a mortal wound
0: for intel there has already been talk in the mac side of the community for quite some time that eventually Apple may be able to develop A-series chips that are powerful enough to take over at least the low-level Mac use, like as we expect in the MacBook one day
1: in another venue i said that i guaranteed that apple had mac os running on a toaster somewhere <laughs> and i guarantee you that this debacle today and apple knowing about this last month and having the, the responsible disclosure at some point in november from security researchers mm-hmm. i guarantee you that this is kick-started behind the scenes conversations about migrating to a series processors for the mac yeah i
0: guarantee you it started but what's interesting to me is that traditional desktop computers uh, largely have exactly one alternative Right. If AMD turns out to come out smelling like a rose here, then it seems to me like a lot of companies will suddenly be looking at them again.
1: Like I said, Mac OS on a toaster—it's
0: not a big deal. This could be a huge game changer. Well, I'm thinking of other platforms, in particular.
1: The Hackintosh people have been running Mac OS on AMD hardware for a while. It's—it's not as straightforward as it is on Intel gear, on straight Intel gear, but it's doable. It's—it's functional.
0: There used to be a joke in the Mac community that when you saw the Intel Inside sticker, it was a warning label. (laughs) Turns out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a long
1: one. That's a that's a, that's a long ago joke. <laughs> Moving on, because I think we've beat this horse to death, at
0: least for now. But again, it seems to me like Apple's been the fastest off the mark with this. So good for them.
1: Yeah, It's hard to tell. Like I said, until Apple says, yeah, don't worry about it. You're straight. Then there's always that question. But there's sufficient evidence in the macOS code base, which is unencrypted these days. Right. That Apple has already dealt with the problem. So there you go. Spotify is having a tough day. Earlier this week, on Tuesday, they were slapped with a $1.6 billion copyright lawsuit involving songs from The Doors, Tom Petty, and many, many more
0: artists. A lot of artists you've heard of, even more you've never heard of. But the fact that you've never heard of them doesn't mean a thing. You're still owed money.
1: The managing company Wixen, they administer songs from Tom Petty, Rage Against the Machine, The Black Keys, Steely Dan, Weezer, David Cassidy, Neil Young, Sonic Youth, Stevie Nicks, and a whole bunch more. Yeah. And they said that the $43 million settlement that Spotify agreed to pay a 2015 class action was nowhere near enough. And the class alleged Spotify failed to adequately pay mechanical licenses royalties for streamed song compositions. So in September, Wixson decided they were going to object the settlement. And Spotify said, well, no, and questioned a letter submitted to court last Friday. And so Wixson just decided on Tuesday that they were going to file a suit uh, instead of waiting for a ruling on the matter. And here we are.
0: Well, in a way, they had to Bef- before it became 2018. They had to file that suit. Yeah,
1: there's a lot going on here. There's protect your rights or lose them. There, there's more about compulsory licenses under the U.S. Copyright Act that Spotify still fi- is still fighting. There's negotiating deals with publishers as opposed to the artist themselves this is such a complicated thing right and apple's dealing with one from a minor musician as well who had who had two albums but yes. we've already spoken about that before this all ties into a whole bunch of different things there's discussion that apple should buy title there's discussion that apple should buy netflix but the problem is is then apple embroils itself in all of these things yeah and hey, even should Apple buy Spotify, then many of the previous contract terms for things like this are null and void. So now we're looking at situations where Spotify has absorbed some music services and Apple's absorbed others. And there's assumptions and deals that are negotiated from the dawn of streaming music that are they in effect? I don't know. Maybe they are. Let's try it. Let's see. Let's let's see what sticks. Let's see what doesn't.
0: And then there's U.S. copyright federal law decision about songs before 1974, which are basically, you can have them. Yeah, just here you go. And songs from the last four decades. So
1: if you're an old time radio hand like Charles and I, we had to keep meticulous logs, about what time we played a song, what song it was, what version it was. Yep. And all of the log entries in that had to include which artist it was, what yep. songwriter it was, if it was, there was a checkbox for if it was a cover version or not. There were, And the reporting responsibilities are still like that. I mean, obviously, it's a whole lot simpler because of automated collection. You don't have to sit there for half the song and scrawl your log data down.
0: Although I can assure you that your low-rent college radio station in your neighborhood is probably doing it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> right now,
1: there's a 19-year-old and a 10-watt radio Radio station writing down what's playing. Yeah. Somewhere in the United States. I guarantee you that's happening as we speak. So we're going to see more of this, not less. And we're not going to see numbers like 43 million for much longer. We're going to see numbers like 1.6 billion. This is just going to get worse and worse and worse, and it's going to escalate as artists and lawyers figure out what sticks and what doesn't.
0: There's a couple more things going on in addition to everything you enumerated. There's yet more coming on. Now people go, well, how could it be 1.6 billion dollars? And that's not even the punitive damage. This lawsuit has a punitive component in it, and they're not even touching that yet. The 1.6 billion is just how much they think they're actually owed
1: right now. Cash on the barrel. Just put it down. US 1.6 billion.
0: So th- this brings up two questions. The first one is, was Spotify's business model ever viable? We're about to find out. (laughs) But I'll tell you one thing, I don't think you're going to see a similar lawsuit against Apple Music.
1: Yeah, Apple Music does pay its musicians better. They're very clear about that. I mean, the musicians aren't that happy about what they're getting paid, but they do acknowledge that it's more than what they're getting paid
0: elsewhere. And that brings up the other question, which is, is streaming from the perspective of the content providers, and I'm not just talking the musicians. Uh, songwriters. I'm talking about the record companies. Isn't it kind of a lousy deal? It kind of is. It seems like a lousy deal for everybody but the record companies. Well, and the end consumer. I mean, they're getting a fantastic deal. This is a buffet of every song ever recorded, practically. For ten bucks a
1: month, I can't even imagine. I mean, when I would go into the record store, the record store, right, clutching my ten bucks, and I could buy one cassette. Right. It it took me two hours to figure out what I wanted to buy. Yeah. For that ten bucks a month, right now I can pick anything I want. Essentially, I it's an embarrassment of riches, really. And that, and again, that's great for the consumer. But again, the record companies are pissed. The artists aren't super happy, but there's got to be a medium in here somewhere.
0: I think the bottom line is that as far as we can tell, because Spotify is the one who keeps getting in trouble over this and keeps being a little dodgy about actually paying it seems like their business model may be in serious trouble
1: it could be i mean this is a lot of money 1.6 billion dollars apple could write that out of the sofa cushion money
0: yeah well that's the other beautiful thing about it isn't it and don't forget title because <laughs> everybody does but title is on the verge of going out of business they can't make a go
1: well yeah but title keeps doing super shady things with their numbers and their marketing
0: yes oh you mean like say spotify yeah <laughs> yeah this is the point i was going to make last but not least about this There is, you'll never believe this, Mike. You'll never believe it. Oh,
1: I bet I will, but go
0: ahead. But there is a bipartisan proposal in Congress for song copyright reform, song royalty reform, that actually has wide support and may come to pass. And, wait... The industry, you know, the songwriter, I mean, the players are actually happy about it. They say it looks great. Really? See?
1: You're right. I don't believe it. I'll have to check it out when we're done with the podcast.
0: So just as they say about most things out of Washington, makes too much sense. It's do. It's never going to pass.
1: Because it helps everybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep an eye on this story, but it's a mess. The bottom line, though, as Mike and I have very consistently said, like I said, we're old radio guys, we're both music lovers, Apple's playlist. I can see what he's listening to and I can see what I'm listening to.
1: And he keeps saying, how much more hair do you possibly need to listen to?
0: (laughs) Right. Not
1: the the musical hair, but,
0: you know, like leather
1: and lace and big hair from the 80s. Yeah,
0: exactly. And we've discovered that each of us has truly terrible music taste.
1: Yes, we did. We have, yeah, we're not going to share it here, but man, we look at each other's track selections and go, <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> not doing that today. I
0: love them like a brother, but no, not listening no. to this. But having said all that, as people who've been passionately involved with music for most of our lives, we have to say that if you really, really love a band, an artist, buy the physical CD. Think of it as a backup. Go see them on tour when they go on tour. And, yes, sure, sign up for a streaming service. But keep a close eye on this because one of two things is going to happen. Either these musicians are going to get what they feel they're owed, which is going to cost a lot of money, and that's coming out of, uh, you know, you. Or they're going to get shafted again, and there will be even less incentive for musicians to put their catalogs online. Uh, <laughs> this sounds like a lose-lose to me.
1: That is true enough. So, anyway, moving on.
0: Well, I suppose we put off talking about Batterygate. As long as possible.
1: Yeah. Because
0: now we have Intel gate to access over.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? And I'm, I'm sure that somebody in PR at Apple earlier today said, oh, so good.
0: Yeah. Well, Dan, to be fair, it took them long enough and it had to be drug out of them like a bad tooth. But by gum, they have disposed of that story pretty much.
1: Yeah. We're not going to we're not going to hit a lot on this. We've got a couple things to talk about and we're going to move on to more things about snow. Yeah. But if you walk into the Apple store don't just make your appointment say it's in four days what do you mean it's in four days and, and just go to the appointment in four days don't walk in and expect three-hour service because you're not going to get especially
0: it. not at the moment no
1: apple is not requiring your battery to fail its diagnostics to replace it for 29 bucks
0: right they're just gonna
1: do it they're, you they're gonna say well your battery is 85 and you're gonna say well here's 30 bucks and they'll say okay okay And they'll say either come back in three hours or they'll say see you in three days.
0: And also, coming up in the spring, worldwide battery shortage, thanks to Apple's generosity. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, that actually may be an issue. That could be an issue.
1: I'm actually looking into that for Apple Insider right now. Ah. Because anything Apple does, when Apple makes a shift towards something... The entire industry kind of shakes a little bit. Yes. And the RAM prices, the the worldwide RAM prices right now are mostly Apple's fault. Right. So battery components, the the chemistry required for the batteries... Apple's using massive amounts of the chemicals for lithium ion batteries. And so this is going to cause a drain because they can't drain old batteries and recycle the electrolyte out of there. That's not how it works. Right. So we'll be coming back to that. But in any event, what's happening around here, and I've spoken with most of the Apple stores around here, if they have the battery in stock and you've come in an appointment and not a walk in, they are trying to do it in three hours. But stock levels come up and they come down. And being that this is for the SE, the six, the six plus, the 6s, the 6s plus, the 7, the 7 Plus. Right. It's it's for those models, there's a lot going on. And the Apple stores are shoulder to shoulder right now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the ones around here are shoulder to shoulder most of the time anyway. But And
0: mostly with people who are not actually experiencing any issues at all. And, and that's another thing. They're just trying to future-proof their phone for a reasonable price. And I don't blame them, but...
1: I, d- I have no problem with that. No problem. I, I have absolutely no problem with that. I love this price. I love what Apple did with the 79 to $29 thing.
0: But my point was going to be that this price is good for a year. You don't have to get down there tomorrow. Relax. It's okay.
1: Yep, this price is good till the end of 2018, the last day of 2018, and for all we know Apple's going to make it permanent. We just don't know. So, if you've got a 7 start thinking about it, do the diagnostics, go in there. And if Apple says you have a 92% battery, then don't worry about it right now and come back later in the year. Yeah. But you know, if you're sitting at 83, 84, then yeah, while well, you're in town, just go ahead and get it done.
0: Incidentally, I'm going to save you even more time and effort. And that is to let you know that there's a program for the Mac. This is important. It's for the Mac called Coconut Battery. That when you physically attach your iOS device, it can tell you about their battery. So you can find out the battery health. It may not be as accurate as the Apple store's equipment because I don't know what they use, but it'll give you a good picture. And so you can go, oh, I'm at 95%. This is silly. I'll wait.
1: Well, let's go over this percentage thing a little bit. It's not quite as simple as that. The percentage is measuring charge discharge cycles. Right. And it's based on Apple's ideal battery model. It doesn't necessarily say that if you're at 85%, you aren't having a voltage problem in your battery and your phone isn't throttling when you're running benchmark software or a particularly intensive game or something like that. It's certainly not saying that at all. So if you think you're dealing with the throttling, if you're at 90%, you're probably not going to have the throttling problem. Right. If you're at 85 eh, maybe. But if you're below 80 you almost certainly are. Yeah. So Apple's line was 80 percent it isn't anymore but like i said if if you feel that you've had the problem then then drop the cash but again if they tell you 90 something percent i'd I'd wait on that so we also i want to point out that on tuesday afternoon we published a piece about how iphone batteries actually work
0: oh there's such a good read too by the way i appreciate that
1: and what we're talking about here is how the voltage in a battery drops over time Specifically, as you're using the battery, charge to charge. When you're looking at a hundred percent iPhone battery, you're looking at about 4.2 volts on it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like a lot, but bear with me on here. When you're looking at 10 percent, you're looking at right around 3.25 volts. And this is on a good battery. This is on a new, modern battery, and a lot of things can affect this curve. So people are saying, "Well, how could Apple have possibly missed this under voltage situation?" Well. There's a lot of ways they could have missed it. And frankly, they didn't have to be off by much on their estimates on what it was going to take, what a battery was going to discharge to, and what the lifetime of battery is going to be like. Believe it or not, chemistry can be very, very precise, especially when you're dealing with such minute quantities of reactants like you are in iPhone batteries. Mm-hmm. There's only a 10 or 15 grams in these batteries of reactants. Right. And that's including the plastic membrane to prevent it from exploding on your
0: leg. Most of the time.
1: Yeah, we're going to put a link in the show notes. If you're curious about this low voltage thing, give it a look if you're curious about the chemistry of a battery or even for that matter how a battery works if you want to talk to your folks about it or something like that take a look at the article if you have any questions drop a line in the forums and we'll talk about it but the the thing is here and i I cannot reiterate this enough people are still saying well this is a conspiracy it's really not it's really not it's device management that apple could have been more transparent about
0: yeah and i have to say to some extent it's you not having paid attention in science class because you should know the fundamentals of how batteries work because you have Hundreds of them in your home right now.
1: Well, I'm willing to bet that uh, I'm willing to bet that the Apple Insider readers have at least a decent grip well, on on. Of course, h- they do. Uh, how- Science one hundred and one for a battery yes. works. Yeah, I mean, Apple Insider, you're, you're handsome and you're smart. So I'm talking you know, about the you
0: know. general public and the unwashed masses, not not our group. No, yes, no, but
1: no. in your in your seven degrees of separation between you and Kevin Bacon, I guarantee you there's some <laughs> people in there that do not know how a battery works or the fact that the battery's voltage is not constant over time.
0: Right, and that's it. I mean, that's the bottom line. The fundamental problem is the way batteries are made, and the way batteries are made these days is actually, and especially with this, with the help of the software, it's fairly smart you'll get decent performance out of it for a longer time than you would have used to but just as duracell has been saying in their ads for i don't know how many years peak performance is a limited time thing peak performance is a limited time thing it won't die on you completely for quite a while but you won't get peak performance except for a short period and then you get this happy medium and then it goes down software to mitigate this was actually, and again, it was, to be fair, a between a rock and a hard place, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how Apple was going to win this conversation with users.
0: I'll take slightly slower performance over no, like just dying on me any day. Yeah, I'm with you on that. This is. And again, I have to point out that Apple's the only manufacturer that I'm aware of that even tries to make your battery carry on performing after peak performance.
1: Yeah, that's right. The Nexus 6P, which was released about the same time as the iPhone 6, suffers from frequent shutdowns, frequent crashes. It's in a drawer. Every single one of them is in a drawer. So it, it looks like that that is a victim to the low voltage situation. And you know, people are saying, well, lots of Android phones have removable batteries. No, flagships don't. The flagships have batteries the same as the iPhone, all stuck inside the device and, and hard to extract. But again, we promise we weren't going to talk about this a lot. And sure enough, we're not going to. So thus concludes the battery saga for this week. Ask again next week. The answer is probably going to be the same, but there'll probably be more nuance to it.
0: Well, actually, we but turn another page in the battery saga because oddly enough, there is more to say about batteries down at the other end of the spectrum. Samsung's Galaxy Note 8. Yeah, the the
1: Galaxy Note 8 has got a funny situation right now where if the you The opposite problem. Yeah, if you drain
0: it to zero, it's not coming back. Not coming back because accidentally a uh, batteries are just like gas stoves, I guess. They need a little pilot light. They need just a tiny bit of voltage to keep going so they can recharge themselves. Yep. That's why when you when you have a flat, uh, dead iPhone battery, you still get a graphic on the screen that goes and eh, eh, plug me in. Yeah, what it looks like on this is when
1: Samsung estimated the Charge voltage curve on their battery. They they Mm -hmm. they guessed wrong too, and they guessed well the battery is not going to get below two point whatever volts. And well. Apparently, a, a zeroed battery on the Note 8 does get below 2 point whatever volts. right? And it doesn't have enough bootstrap power to restart the charging cycle, even when you plug it in. You know, now that you mentioned that actually brings up something else I wanted to talk about. Mm. When you plug in an iPhone, you're not magically giving it all the power it needs. Right. What you're doing is you're at, you're plugging into the phone, which in then turn is charging the battery, but the battery is simultaneously discharging to power the iPhone. So if you have a limitation on how much power the battery can put out because of age or temperature or whatever, you don't magically have power because you plugged it into lightning or it's sitting on your chi pad. Right. It's, it's got the battery in what's called a float, which means charging and discharging at the same time. And again, you're limited to the maximum performance of the battery on mm-hmm. When people say, well, I'm still throttled when I'm plugged in. Yeah, it's operating as designed. This is how this has to work. Yeah. It's the same reason why your phone won't unthrottle if it's being throttled. And it's the same reason why the Note 8
0: won't come back. This is why when phones slip into low power mode, they don't take themselves out of that until they're at 80%, right? It was just a miscalculation a miscalculation on the part of samsung in this case but of a different sort yep so listen if a samsung is gonna have a battery problem this is the battery problem i want them to have (laughs) quite frankly hopefully they won't get in any more hot water about this than they already have but oops that's another one all right now we're done with batteries yeah too long didn't
1: listen if you want the battery go get it but you've got all year to do
0: it and speaking of miscalculations chicago Oh, dear. Well, there's a beautiful new Apple store on North Michigan in Chicago, and I'm going to be going in November. So I'll get a chance to check this out firsthand. But apparently, they uh, the bottom line was that they've got a beautiful roof that kind of looks like a MacBook lid, and it was having some issues because it snowed. As it turns out... It was having some issues, but not the issues everybody thought. Everybody became Nelson on The Simpsons and went, ha ha. They thought that Apple had stupid, they thought Apple and its design partners, who've made many, many buildings, stupidly designed the roof so that it couldn't get rid of the snow. Ah, no. But it did turn out that the snow dispersal heating, I guess, the heating from the roof wasn't working properly. And that was down to software, Apple says. But they're going to clear it up and and the problem won't be an issue anymore.
1: Yeah, this is a, it's a fascinating system. What it is, is it's got gutters on the roof that are embedded inside the roof itself. Right. And when there's any kind of accumulation in those gutters, the roof heaters turn on. Right. Melting the snow off of the roof. And yeah, there's going to be a little bit of, of flow off the edges of the roof, but that's okay because the rest it's of the melt. It's just water at
0: this point. The rest
1: right. of the melt goes through the central support columns of the, of the yeah. building.
0: And they can reclaim that water. It's amazing. Come on, how cool is that? When it works. When it works, right. This time, the Apple had to rope off parts of the sidewalk and parts of the plaza because there were icicles falling off. Oops, it's, it was embarrassing, but the but it wasn't a design flaw. And the reason I bring this up is because listen, anybody's heating system can have a problem, but the way people were so quick to jump to that conclusion, it's the same. To me, it's the same thing with Mac users and their belief that they need to manage the fans on their Mac. Come on.
1: Yeah, we haven't really
0: talked about this
1: on Apple Insider, at least. If, if you're familiar with our other body of work, which we'll discuss a little bit more later on, if you have to manage the fans on your Mac, you've got a problem. Yes, you probably don't have to manage the fans. Yeah, and you probably don't have to. Yeah, but anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that some other time. Yeah, yeah. But with this, did it have to be a software problem? I know. I mean, come on. Did it really have to be a software problem? Couldn't it just been, well, we had a we had plug? that didn't get removed oh well
0: nope yeah had to be software oops who unplugged this who a fess (sighs) up yeah plug and everything's fine they'll get it sorted out but the idea that a major architectural firm like this would overlook the fact that the store is in chicago in the winter uh no no they didn't and in fact other stores older stores on that same street have this problem because they didn't plan because
1: they don't have a cool heated roof and gutters and support columns that can drain off the water is that what they failed to do exactly
0: yeah right imagine walking by a skyscraper on north michigan and an icicle is coming down at you you're dead that's it it's it's the omen all over again it's that whole scene with uh, pat Trouton as the priest
1: in upstate new york there is a geodesic dome and it is giant. And it is in the middle of the woods in Saratoga Springs. It's a government facility. I'm not going to delve into it too deeply. It's not a secret that it's there, but it's there. It's bigger than the Epcot dome. It's one of the largest geodesic domes in the world. Mm. And it would snow. Being upstate New York, you'd get these lake effect snows. And they're probably dealing with it as as I'm talking about this right now. And you'd get accumulate. If the snow is heavy enough, if the snow is wet enough, you'd, it would accumulate on the top of the ball. So we'd get these things called digalanches. I'm not going to delve into the etymology of the word. But if you're familiar with the site, you know why it's called that. And so we had these safety exclusion zone ropes around this plant. And people would say, what's that for? Is that because, you know, it's not safe because of what's in the building? No, it's not safe because what's on the top of the building.
0: If you got aliens in there,
1: you've yeah. got aliens in there. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But in any event, that this is snow is an engineering problem. Regardless, yep, and you, no matter what, if you're building
0: a structure in an area that's going to get snow, you're thinking about. Sorry, it. I'm just having this. I'm having this image of an angel reporting to God, going, uh, "God, we've determined that snow, rather than being one of your most beautiful creations, is in fact an engineering problem. You know,
1: it is an engineer. It's heavy. It's wet. It's you know, it's it's just bad news. So it's true. <laughs> I think we've probably had enough of Apple snow problem for one day.
0: True. Let's talk about something good. Hey. Okay, let's do it. Uh, So there was an OLED test for burn-in on the Samsung Galaxy Note 8, the Galaxy 7 Edge, and the iPhone 10. And guess which one had the least burn-in? Apple! Hurrah! And this is from a South Korean site. Ouch.
1: Awkward. Yeah, this is in Samsung's backyard. The Cetizen, C-E-T-I-Z-E-N, ran a 510-hour marathon test. To see how long it would take to burn in an image.
0: That's roughly three weeks of leaving your screen on a single image of full brightness. And just so you know, go on. So by 62 hours, the Note 8
1: started showing burn, despite not having any signs prior. The tester asked people to identify burn in parts of the screen while displaying a white image. And they had no problem identifying the Note 8, but couldn't see it on the, on the iPhone 10. Right. The iPhone 10 ran for 21 days. 21 days consecutively on static image. Nothing. Right. And the iPhone 10, you could start to see the burn in. The Galaxy Note 8 by far showed the worst signs of the burn in after the test with the S7 doing pretty well, but still got beat by the iPhone 10. Yeah. All Samsung supplied screens. This is is this software? Is this hardware? Who knows? But it's probably got something to do with Apple managing the supply chain.
0: Apple's magic fairy pixie dust, apparently. Yep, you know what? I'll go with that for reason B. And reason C
1: there's gotta be some kind of software tweak in there to make sure that the OLED burn isn't that pronounced or that that dramatic.
0: And the bottom line here is that in typical daily use, normal people use, the iPhone X and the S7, the S7 Edge, you wouldn't see this. It's very unlikely you would ever see it. On the Galaxy Note 8. Mm. Yeah. I wish they tested a Pixel 2 because this is exactly the problem that people are complaining about with the Pixel 2. I wish they had as well. Google said that they fixed that in software,
1: but I'm getting mixed reports from that mm-hmm. about the the efficiency of the fix. We'll see. Um, Apple does have a public support document saying that there can conceivably be burn. And Apple says that if you look at an LED display off angle, you may notice slight shifts in color and hue, characteristic
0: of LED. In other words, it's a no LED screen. All of these things are inherent to that technology.
1: That's correct. And it also says that with extended long-term use, displays can also show slight visual changes, which is also an expected behavior, and it can include, quote, image persistence, unquote, or burn-in, where the display shows a faint remnant of an image even after a new image appears on the screen. Now, it's not generally permanent. Evidence collected over the last couple of years, retained images are usually wiped after a short period of time with normal use. Right. With animated elements. So watch a YouTube cat movie and you're probably okay. Yeah. Unless it's particularly bad, then watch 10 YouTube cat movies. Yeah,
0: unless you're watching it for three weeks nonstop. But yeah, this is something, particularly for for people who have their, let's say the Note 8 because it performed the worst of the three, they have a bright company logo and it's on Mm -hmm. in the background all the time. Uh, you might
1: want to watch that. Yeah, I mean, this has been a bad Apple Insider podcast episode for the Note 8.
0: Yeah, Mm. I'm afraid so. Okay, we'll just drop, never mind Samsung. There's one last thing that I wanted to mention. And that was another Apple Insider article. They have done their review of the iMac Pro.
1: Can't even tell you how much work went into this from everybody on the staff. This has been, let's see, five different staffers were involved in this review one way or another. So wow. we got the iMac Pro early last week. It is the 8-core, the 4999 model that we, we think is going to be the most adopted one because it's the best balance between single-core performance and price, frankly, mm-hmm. because the machine goes up to $13,000 plus.
0: Right? It is a beast of machine. I've been looking at the ten core myself, but only in my dream.
1: I got to play with the fourteen core one this morning. What? Yeah. I got to visit an undisclosed location in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area.
0: Man, that Dick Cheney gets everything.
1: Well, it wasn't even him. I I can't say that it wasn't related to him in one way or another. Was it in his
0: man-sized safe? You can tell me.
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, man. The machine is so so fast. I I set it to reboot and set to auto-login because of the facility I was at, because anyone in that facility could use the machine to familiarize themselves with the machine and you know this isn't like 500 people it's like 12 but anyway and i looked down to grab a to grab a sip for my drink and i looked back up and it's at the desktop and i said um, am i done did, did it reboot it, yeah it rebooted in that much time to, to grab the cup take a sip and put it back down to look at the screen it was back unbelievably fast.
0: Those things are not shipping for a while yet. This 14 core that you're talking.
1: We are getting reports that there are limited numbers of 14 and 18 cores arriving in customers' hands. Ooh, nice. There's still some delay. Like if you put an order for 18, you're still looking two or three weeks out, but Apple's to borrow something, an old Star Trek movie said that engineers always double their time estimates
0: for repairs. Ah, the Scotty principle. Yeah, yes.
1: and and Apple does the same thing with shipments most times. Yes. So, and that's that's what I think is going on with this.
0: They did it with the iPhone 10, and that worked out super well. So yep, yeah, they did. You should keep doing that, Apple. Good idea. But man, is this machine fast? It's it's not
1: even remotely in my budget. It's not even close.
0: Yeah, the 14 core machine starts at what? Eight uh, thousand. Eight thousand. 8,200 bucks, I think. Okay.
1: I'd have to look at it. Uh, that's, you know, without configuring it back down to the to the Vega 56, which I don't even know why you do that. I don't either. If you're spending that much money for the 14 core anyway. Right. This one was not the $8,000 configuration because they had 128 gig of RAM and four terabytes of, of the flash storage.
0: Oh, so this is 10k easy.
1: But it is an amazingly fast machine. It's like the first time I sat down at the, the original Mac Pro, not the G5 tower, but the
0: Intel Mac Pro. I want to say these remarks are coming from a guy who gooses his mac pros right so he knows from workstation
1: yeah i mean i'm rubbing my hand lovingly over my 5.1 down here with (laughs) that i've engineered with an inch of its life right this this is a beefy machine and people say that, well, I'm a pro and I can't afford $5,000. And well, I'm sorry, the machine's not for you.
0: Also, you know, it's a tax deduction, right? Uh, you're sure you're a pro? Well,
1: even so it's, yeah, it's a tax deduction, but man, it is, is a lot of iron. And even looking at the Apple Insider review, there are people who would be better served just from a dollar perspective to stick with the iMac 5k. Oh,
0: definitely. Most people I should think.
1: So even professionals, and I think that even professionals, I, I did not participate in the writing of the review. I was more in the the mechanics of getting it published. But if you're even considering using an iMac for a professional use,
0: like this is your moneymaker, then you need to look at
1: this review. You need to look at the different benchmarks they did and the different workflows that they did on it and decide if you want better single core performance, which you are probably going to get in the iMac 5K,
0: probably not always, Mm -hmm.
1: or you need to throw as many cores as you can at a problem.
0: Yeah, like you're doing weather models for a living, right? This is not... A word processing machine
1: this is overkill for audio engineering this is i mean come on the eight core model can render 8k video in real time with filters in final cut pro
0: x well that's because of that enormous amount of ram among other things but yeah everything is just optimized to be super fast it's amazing and the benchmarks that we've seen so far have all been like uh this is it kids yeah. This is the pinnacle of computing at this moment.
1: Yes, I wrote a piece just before Christmas or just before the new year about Apple looking at the pro hardware. And I just want to talk to the pros. If you consider yourself a pro right now, I love you all. I really do. But we are never, ever, ever, the group of us that I'm talking to, we're never going to come to a consensus on what makes a pro machine.
0: Even those modular thing they're talking about next year, they're just never going to make one that is perfect for everybody.
1: And I, I appreciate that's a problem for a lot of people. I get that. but We can fight about it all we want and we can say, well, I can't upgrade this, so it's not pro. This doesn't have a better screen, so it's not pro. This doesn't do this, so it's not pro. And I understand that makes it not pro for you. And frankly, we're, we're, we're subjecting ourselves to the whims of a marketing term. If, if this was just a range of MacBooks and a range of iMacs without the word pro attached to it. We wouldn't need to have this conversation. So we're fighting about a word. Yes. And I wish it was different. I I wish we didn't have to have that fight. I wish Apple could make a machine that would make us all happy. Yeah. But they can't and they won't.
0: That's true. Well, the fundamental core of their philosophy is, uh, is they're not trying to please everybody. Their belief, and you can argue with it all you want, their belief is that if we make a really great machine, people will find it, and enough people will find it to keep the company going. Beyond that, they're not going to make 1,700 different models for every conceivable kind of pro use. That's just never going to happen. That's another platform. Those are other manufacturers, but not Apple.
1: Yeah, it's just, as far as upgradability of Apple machines goes, RAM has always been kind kind of an okay, we'll let you if we have to kind of point. If you go back to before the G3 tower, RAM upgrades were not trivial in a number of their machines. Power Mac 8500, I'm looking at you.
0: Well, it's not trivial in this machine, although it's doable, apparently. Yeah, it
1: wasn't trivial in the original iMac. Yeah, no. You take off the bottom panel, slide out the motherboard, make sure you don't break that ribbon cable, and then put in the RAM.
0: Even before that, remember the Cracker Jacks? Mm. Yeah. for the SEs and such? Yeah, mm.
1: well, yeah the SE, yeah. I mean, if you look back at Apple's history of computing, if you look back... Heck, even the Apple II. They are mostly designed to be slapped down without having to worry about upgrades. And as such, most people don't. Right. Like I said, you're Apple insider readers. You're smart. You're handsome. I get it. But we are not Apple's core audience. And as much as we like to say we are, we we aren't anymore. And that's kind of sad in one way, but you know why it's good? It means we won. Yeah, kind of. At least for now. Yeah. So the iMac Pro is a very, very solid machine. The iMac Pro is a very, very fast machine, the likes of which Apple hasn't produced in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Charles and I were both on this beat when the Coke Can Mac Pro came out, and heck, we were on shift when the Coke Can Pro Mac came out. Yep. And we had a conversation, I think, almost eight hours that night about who the machine was for and who it was not going to make happy. And looking back at it from five years later, our predictions that were mostly right. It, it made people who wanted, a, you know, something sexy to slap down on their desk and say, look at my Apple glory and put on their, you know, their best eye voice and, and saying it. It's the most beautiful thing in this cubicle. There you go. You see why I hang out with Charles now. (laughs) So it made those people happy. It made people who at the time needed the GPU performance happy and not the CPU performance because you could always have boosted a 5.1 aluminum tower to those speeds and more.
0: Yeah, it's remarkable how amazingly versatile those machines have going, not strictly following Apple's upgrade guidelines, but uh, like Mike said, you can engineer some of those models to an inch of their lives, those slab sides.
1: Yeah, it was a compromise Apple made to suit Apple. The iMac Pro doesn't feel like that. The iMac Pro feels like, okay, well, you want pro hardware? Boom, here you go. Do mm-hmm. you know what this is the equivalent to for you old time Mac people? This is the equivalent to selling the SE30 when the Mac Plus was the main Mac. Right. This is selling the 2FX when the LC was the main Mac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That th- This is what we're talking about here. And frankly, we're looking at similar
0: pricing. Well, yeah, accounting for inflation. You're absolutely right. I might add also that there's a lot of talk in the Mac community about future proofing. One of the things, you know, when, when Apple decided to start sealing up these machines, there was a lot of protest about that. But the reason they did it actually turns out to have made great sense. The number of repairs that such machines need, their risk of catastrophic failure may have gone up at a percentage point or two. But by and large, they won that bet pretty hard. And those sealed machines are more reliable for the most part. I'm sorry this my Mac Pro doesn't have a RAM door too, but I can't argue with their logic about this. Their idea here, with, particularly with the iMac Pro, is this machine is going to give you great service for the next five or six years. And then maybe you'll need another one. I don't know.
1: but It has just come out today that starting in February, you can bring your iMac Pro into an Apple authorized service center and they can upgrade your RAM.
0: However, it has to be Apple-provided RAM. Yep, and it has to be done by Apple-certified techs.
1: Now, I'm not so sure that some of the specialists and independent service providers aren't going to say, well, here's some crucial RAM.
0: Yeah, the people over at OWC are losing sleep trying to work out how they're going to get around this.
1: In February, there will be an option to, for you to get more RAM than you need, but it, it's for now, It's we'll see how it is. And we have confirmed that the RAM is slotted, The CPU is socketed. Yeah. So, you know, those few people who are going to look at an iMac Pro in five years and say, what ludicrous processor can I put in here now? That will probably be me. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to be able to do that. But for the vast majority of the machines, like the vast majority of the Tower Mac Pros, not the Coke can Mac Pros, but the Tower Mac Pros, they will never be opened and they will never be upgraded in any
0: way. That's true. One of the few things that I ever did for App was help compose a marketing survey to try and find out exactly how many people did actually upgrade. They're upgradable mm-hmm. Mac Pros. And I don't recall the exact number, but it was a very, very, very low digit. Yeah,
1: very very small percentage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's single digits. The, the
1: work that I'd done with that is single digits.
0: Mm, yeah. Now,
1: like I said, Apple Insider readers, I'm probably 20 or 30% of us would be my best guess, but general public, it's way down.
0: That's the other thing. Yes. I know general public's buying Max Pros. Yes, they did because they thought they needed it or they thought it would last longer because it's future proofed, right? Well, this one really is. This one really is as configured, especially if you add sufficient RAM now. You're going to get many years of great performance out of this thing.
1: And just one more note on pro hardware, not this year, meaning 2017 does not mean 2018.
0: Oh, yes. This is referring to the forthcoming Mac Pro that Apple has in a very rare move actually said they're going to do, but they haven't said exactly when. Everybody thinks it's going to be 2018 and it could be. Could
1: be. When Federighi and Q, I guess it was, talked about it in April of 2017 that there's a new Mac Pro coming, they said, not this year. Right. Apple reiterated, not this year. For 2017, they didn't didn't say 2018. They continue to say that they're working on it. So they gave the same message with the iMac Pro press release. At the very bottom, they said, and Apple is still working on a modular, upgradable Mac Pro and Apple-branded displays. No date, no nothing.
0: Right, no date.
1: So with the Coke Can Mac Pro... Apple said that they were going to ship that year, and they did. They shipped like five of them at the very end of the year. True. So they technically made the date. But the machine wasn't readily available until February of the following year. Yeah. We'll see what we get. I I want it. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong with this, okay? I want this machine to ship in 2018. I would really like it to ship in 2018. I'm just not convinced it's going to.
0: It might, but we just don't know. That's the bottom line. And actually, in, in cases like this, Apple is kind of dependent on some other people, well, like say, you know, Intel. And I hear they're having problems. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, there might
1: might be a couple issues.
0: Yeah, that could push it back. They, they left that window vague on purpose. And that's because there's a point in the future where even Apple's engineers don't yet know where they might be going. Right. And they want to give themselves flexibility because that was the lesson they learned from the Coke can Mac
1: Pro. Yep. One last thing before we wrap it up. Next week is the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Little precautionary word on things we're going to talk about next week at apple insider based on history 50 percent of the things we're going to talk about are going to ship on time
0: you and i would talked about this because we used to work this beat ourselves my joke was always that 20 percent of these products will actually make it to market mm-hmm. and only 10 percent of those will ship on time okay well 50 percent, we're close enough
1: so yeah i'll go yeah. with charles's presumption i don't really have i didn't really keep logs on what shipped and what didn't but considering we're still waiting on stuff from 2017
0: yeah and 2016
1: considering we're still waiting on some of that older stuff it, it's great to get excited some of the stuff is really really cool like we first started seeing the first external gpu cases in the 2016 true consumer electronic show for thunderbolt 3 right we didn't really see those in any kind of quantity until the spring of 2017 yep. so there's some very exciting stuff coming like samsung samsung announced a thunderbolt 3 monitor today what no pricing no data and availability it's coming and it's thunderbolt 3 wow not usb 3.1
0: type c Nope. Ah. Thunderbolt 3. Fascinating. We'll see how they handle (laughs) burn-in.
1: What I am expecting to see is, because Intel is going to loosen up licensing this year on Thunderbolt 3, I am expecting to see a bunch of Thunderbolt 3 peripherals. Yes,
0: I agree. And they'll be a little cheaper now.
1: I think at Intel's keynote, they're going to talk at least briefly on a new USB-C chipset. And I think that that will will improve adoption rates of USB-C peripherals and chargers and things like that as well. Yeah,
0: I think so. Although USB-C is doing pretty well. I don't think this is a big HomeKit year,
1: even though Apple announced that they were going to allow you to do decryption in software. I think that that's still kind of shaking out. People are still trying to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. I also don't think that they want to be the 15th HomeKit socket announced. Right. So I think that we will see HomeKit products released over the course of the year, but I don't think we're going to see them pop up at CES.
0: We're already starting to see some announcements about this. and I think, actually, I was going to say, first of all, I always call CES the bazaar of wishful thinking Mm. because, like I said, so much of the stuff that you see there are prototypes that aren't going to make it. And of the ones that actually make it to market, even a smaller percent are going to really succeed. Right. But anyway, the other thing is, I think this is the year HomeKit becomes boring. What I mean by this is now it's unusual when a new car is announced and it doesn't have CarPlay and Android Auto. Mm, True. So I think this is the year that HomeKit and a couple of other standards, but not every one of them, is going to become boring. They're just,
1: they're in there. I think we're going to see a bunch of Qi charging pads. Yeah. Now that the iPhone has got it, the floodgates are open. Yeah. Uh, We've already seen one that is a little bizarre. It's an Amazon Alexa slash Qi charging pad. Not super jacked about that. It's going to be an interesting CES. Uh, Victor Marks is going to be on the scene. That's why he's not on the podcast this week. And to that end, I'd like to thank Charles Martin for stepping in. Charles, yeah, you have another gig. What is it? And when can we find you?
0: <laughs> well, after Mac and N shut down, we realized that there's nothing stopping us from being out on the streets. So we needed to come up with something fast. So Mike and I came up with our own tech news roundup podcast called Space Javelin. So you can find that over on SoundCloud, iTunes and SpaceJavelin.com. It's a lot like what we've done here, actually, with slightly more audio cues and worse jokes. And a bit more foul language. I get a little saltier over there. I had to bleep him last week. I mean it. I'm surprised it's not every
1: week, frankly. But in any event, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to find out how he deals with the bomb cyclone that's coming. Oh,
1: geez. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. Got to deal with that tonight. The hatches are battened in my secure bunker, and I'm good to go. But this has been the Apple Insider Podcast for the first week of 2018. You can find us, obviously... AppleInsider.com. We are available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we will talk to you next week after the Consumer Electronics Show.
0: Thanks, Apple Insider.
1: And thank you, Charles, for stopping by.